Hey, everybody. Good morning. Amazing. Welcome to Park Hill Church. Man, it's good to see you guys. Um, we would love to get, if you don't have any Bibles, we'd love to get you some. I mean, how, who, do, who has a hardback Bible these days? You do, because we're going to give you one. Well, my name is uh, Evan, like Aaliyah said, and, you know, uh, m- my wife Sandy and I have the joy of leading this church. Uh, welcome, if you're new. Today, we start the last two chapters of Galatians, and today's scripture text is Galatians 5, 12, 1 through 12, okay? Normally, we read the text up front. We're not going to read it up front today. Uh, we're going to hold off. You'll find out why in a minute. Uh, the title of this series is Galatians, One New Family, because Paul's writing to this ancient church that started out great, acting like family, tons of diversity, celebrating the new work of the Spirit through faith in Christ. It was beautiful what was happening. This new family was forming. Um, <clears throat> but there's this group of people <laughs> who came in through the back door after Paul came through, and this group is called the Judaizers, and they were requiring Gentile Christians to follow Jewish customs to really belong. They're like, yeah, the gospel, but like circumcision too. Uh, that's literally what they were doing. And, and the result was this, these divisions, these tribes. These, you could call them little political parties in the church. And on one side, they, you had the Gentiles should get circumcised, tribe. And on the other side, you had, no, Gentiles are welcome as Gentiles. Remember what Paul says, tribe. So those are the two tribes. And the result was this division and Here's, here's a big point for today. Paul calls that kind of division in the church spiritual slavery. He calls that spiritual slavery in this book. And he gets passionate about this. His, his protective father's heart is beating quick. Um, his emotions are all over in this letter. Look at the slide. He says things like this. He's like, I am astonished at you Galatians. You fool, fools, basically. I fear I've wasted my preaching on you. I'm perplexed. So yeah, he's feeling lots of feelings about what's going on. This church that started out great. And then to the divisive people, he says things like, you are trying to pervert the gospel. Uh, These divisive people were Christians. They believed Jesus was king. But they were dividing the church. And he's like, you've perverted the gospel. And, And then he pronounces, let them be under God's curse. Remove yourselves from this table if you want others removed. And then he calls them weak and miserable forces. So he's feeling, he's feisty here. But today, in today's text, okay, his language, if that was, if that was going to 10, his language goes to like 15 in this text. Um, Put it this way, if Paul tweeted this today, he'd probably just get lots of comments, if not canceled. So... So here, I'll read the whole passage. Here it is. This is why we're saving it to now. Here we go. Galatians 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by this yoke of slavery. You're free to love each other. You're free to be Christ to each other, but don't, you're going back into slavery and dividing against each other. Verse 2, mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value with you, to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. 
You who are trying to be justified or you're, you're trying to make yourself right, you're trying to fix yourself through the law, you're, you're alienating yourself from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love, okay? It's a key statement there for this day. Uh, but just read the rest of the text. He says, you were running a good race. Who stopped you? Who cut in on your race to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you. Quote, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough, unquote. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. He's like, I'm confident you'll agree with me on this. You will not have another. I, wink, wink, trust me. I'm confident you guys are going to come around. And he says, verse 10, the one who's throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the, go the whole way and emasculate themselves. This is the word of the Lord, right? <laughs> like, thanks be to God. So you see why I waited to now, right? I just wanted to frame this. This is very intense language. It, it, did Paul just say what we think he said? Yes. He wishes castration on the divisive people in the church. Yes. Um, so what is going on here? This, isn't, this is welcome to Park Hill Church, you guys. <laughs> this, is, this is kind of a play on words. It's a play on words. The divisive group was requiring circumcision in order for Gentiles to belong. So Paul's protective spirit kicks in, and he's like, if they're, gonna, if they're that into circumcising everybody, they should just lead by example. Just go the whole way, all business, gone. They should just, that, that's what he's saying. So this sounds wild to us. But to the Jews, it was also triggering, but not wild. It was the hot-button issue of the day. It wasn't some random, crude comment. To the ancient Jews, circumcision was the central identity issue of the day. We have a lot of identity issues today that we like to make prominent. This was the one. Uh, the word circumcision shows up in this text five times. We need to know why. So, so to find out why, we go to the beginning of the Bible. Page one of the Bible, what happens? Bible page one. God makes stuff, yeah. God creates everything. He creates humans to flourish in relationship with God and one another. And God, who's the one who calls everything good? Who gets to say, this is good? Not humans, God, right. So God gets to say what's good. Very important. Page three, what happens? The serpent convinces humans to take matters into our own hands and start defining what is good on our own terms. That's the fall. Welcome to the fall. The, the fall wasn't the fact that it was like a really good fruit and God said, don't eat the best fruit. It was, I am God, I made things, everything, and therefore I say what is good. You don't have that authority. You can't, you'll destroy yourself. And so, and so that's the fall. And 
welcome to the world we live in where ever since we've been redefining good and evil and doing injustice to each other indiscriminately all the time. Um, so, but right away, as soon as page three happens, God's, the moment humans fall, God steps in. Humans fall, God moves. This is grace. Right away, God promises, I will bring a descendant of Eve who will one day come to give his own life to crush the serpent's head and sin and death goes away. Not just for one family, but for all families. To bring all humans back into relationship with God where we, where we love and appreciate God's definitions of good again and flourish. And so 12 pages after that, we see God putting his promise into action. God makes a covenant. He makes a promise with this guy named Abraham. God tells Abraham, this, remember, the descendant, the serpent crusher? God's like, Abraham, I'm going to make that serpent crusher come out of your line. And the word they use is seed. He'll come from your seed. He will be your seed. This is very Hebrew, biblical language, very normal. And in that moment, God invites Abraham's whole family into a covenant relationship. And the sign or the mark of this covenant was circumcision for the whole family. And every male born in Abraham's line would be circumcised. And that's weird to us. We admit that's like, why couldn't, I mean, gosh, circumcision, couldn't you have like, had a secret handshake or something? Or like a code word that you pass down to know that we're the, we're the family of God. But when we stop to think about it, it really makes sense. God decided as a sign of this covenant that he would, he would mark the reproductive organ of every male from this line, showing that this, this line, this family would be set, set apart by God. And as they continue to reproduce... It would be a reminder to them that one day this Messiah would come. Hope was built into their bodies and their culture. This Messiah would come, he'd make all things right and crush the serpent's head and sin and death would be gone for not just their family but every family. This was the reason for the covenant and the sign was circumcision, okay? So now fast forward to the New Testament. We find out who that serpent crusher descendant is. Spoiler alert, Jesus, yes. It's the, it's, a, it's the kids, five, five-year-old kids class answer every time. It's Jesus. So God came in the person of Jesus. He lived sinlessly. Yes, was circumcised. He did the whole Abraham thing. Died in our place, rose from the dead. He was enthroned as true king of the world where he now sits at the right hand of the Father. And because Jesus finished all of that work and sent the Holy Spirit, you have slide five here. Once Jesus finished his work, I think slide five. I don't know if you have the numbers. Maybe go back. There it is. Once Jesus finished his work and sent the Holy Spirit, the new covenant began. This is good news for everyone in every culture, every race, every identity, not just Jewish. This is amazing. Now, everyone who pledges allegiance to Jesus gets a new main identity, and that's loved child of God. And, and as a mark of this, you, the sign, the mark of the new covenant is the Holy Spirit now comes upon you, not just men anymore, now men and women, and, and, and he comes upon us and does what Paul in Romans 2 calls a spiritual circumcision of the heart. This was the real thing all along. This was the real plan all along. We don't need to be part of Abraham's line anymore. Now, everyone who trusts in Jesus is a spiritual part of the family, which was always the plan, the, the, the meta-narrative. 
This is who we are, you guys, right now in, park, in this building. This is who we are. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, if you're here and you're hearing this story and you're like, I have never heard the gospel presented through this angle these last 10 minutes or whatever. You're like, no, yeah, this, is the, this is the best news available to humankind because of the amount of belonging, healing, forgiveness. And, and, and I'm going to get into it in a moment, but it rallies us differently than any other tribe rallies. Uh, we gather differently. We identify differently than every other tribe identifies, and this is good news. So, um, because one of the most life-giving aspects, one of the most beautiful things about this family is that our belonging isn't connected to any certain aspect of our embodiedness. You know, our ethnicity, sexuality, disability, nationality. We don't belong because of some feature of our flesh here. This is why it's, it's like, you just feel the weight lift, the pressure of social anxiety lift when you hear the belonging gospel of Jesus. The defining feature is not a flesh thing. Now, the defining feature of our belonging is the presence of the Holy Spirit internally in our hearts. You give your life to Jesus, you get a new heart that's now animated by his Holy Spirit. And the evidence of this is what Paul calls fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to get into that list next week. It's the second half of Galatians 5. This is a part one, part two thing. It's beautiful. But to just get, paint the flow. Get the flow in your head. This is a big point what Paul's making is God's own spirit, not all our own fleshes, is what unites us here. Have you stopped to think about all that this means? Well, for one, like... We, we no longer unite around a flesh feature in, you know, I, I'll, I'll call it flesh unity. There's flesh unity and there's spirit unity. Paul makes a big deal out of these two kinds of unities. We naturally gravitate towards flesh unity. And there's two ways of being human. Here it is. Let's talk about flesh unity first. You have the next slide. It's just the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. Flesh unity right there. This is natural. This is how we, this is default mode. It's a great way to survive. We've been doing it for millennia. You know, it's not all bad. We've been surviving. We're here, right? And it's usually out of a scarcity mindset. We're afraid that we're not, we're, there's not enough resources. Or Let's face it. Through human history, there wasn't always enough money, sex, and power to go around. That's human history. And ever since then, whenever we feel like there's a lack of resources... That's when we get nervous and calculate and conspire against that group over there who looks like they have more. Scarcity. Which is often why, why we're suspicious of outsiders because them over there, they might threaten our stuff. They're enemies until proven otherwise. This is flesh unity. It's a great way to survive in the wild, you know. Fear motivated by survival, scarcity, suspicion. Treat outsiders like enemies. Rinse, repeat. It's a good recipe for having a tribe. It's great for survival because it's natural. It's natural. But Paul's whole point is the new family of Jesus is not just natural. This family is a spiritual entity. You are a spiritual 
eternal entity. Do you know this? Question, this is a question. Does an eternal entity require survival? No, eternal things don't need to survive. They're just eternal, right? They're just eternal. Good. Participants. Listen, as the new family of Jesus, we're eternal. You're forever, you guys. And listen, that's not a metaphor. We love to make metaphors and fluffy, dreamy, cloud, baby, harp, heaven pictures in our heads of disembodied nirvana bliss. That is so not the biblical picture of our future. We are a phys- the church is the literal, eternal, physical entity that God has chosen to covenant with. Which means everyone who trusts in Jesus, who's crucified and risen Jesus, everyone who trusts in him is forever animated by the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And to quote Paul in Romans, he says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, well, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Not a metaphor. Your body will come out of the ground because Jesus is dead. You are eternal because Jesus is. These are not metaphors. You are not working on borrowed time. There is no scarcity of resources for you. That is not real. That is the lie you live when you're unifying according to the flesh. Do you know what this means? Flesh unity is useless here. Literally expired, obsolete. Scarcity, survival, suspicion of enemies, useless. It's over. It's just true. This is the truth you get to live in. It's for freedom Christ has set us free, Paul says. This is what he's talking about. We have something infinitely greater than regular old flesh unity. We have spirit unity. Look at how it compares. Flesh unity. God is in the business of moving us in our minds along those arrows. We already exist on the right side. That's already true about you. Do you know this? You are already eternal. Your body is already immortal. Death will have a say for a temporal moment, after which time you will either be in God's presence or transformed to rise from the earth in the new heavens and new earth, in the diverse community of Jesus. This is not new teaching. This is 2,000 years, and it's baked into the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the resurrection of the saints. You are eternal. Stop thinking that your future is a disembodied state of not doing anything meaningful anymore, and so you got to rush. That is slavery, Paul says. When you see this and you agree with the Spirit, then he keeps moving us along those arrows. We already exist on the right side. Our minds just don't believe it yet. We're tempted with scarcity, but when we believe we're children of abundance because we're united with the Son who shares the Father's love and says, you ask whatever in my name and I'll give it, we now, get to live, we now get to basically test how true that is for the rest of our life 
and watch God, who's looking for excuses to bless you, respond. So we move from scarcity to abundance. And when we do that, we move from suspicion to confidence that we're loved and called to love others sacrificially. If your body is resurrecting from the ground, well, then if you love someone like Jesus did and you die a little bit, your body is going to be raised and you'll be rewarded and you believe it. At that point, there's no difference between enemy and neighbor. Right? Enemy becomes neighbor and neighbor becomes family in the new family of Jesus. Which means we're free already to love both enemy and neighbor equally. Unconditionally, invite them into the family. This is what we have. We need the spirit to shift our mindset to believe the truth. This is the spirit unity we have. All our different flesh is welcome. All our different flesh is welcome at the table. We're no longer threatened by each other's diverse flesh. We commit to confessing our sin to one another because we know we're equally in need of forgiveness and healing. So we keep inviting the Holy Spirit to remove those parts of our flesh that don't look like Jesus. Our sin and the, the broken patterns we picked up from our families of origin. We agree now to reparent each other, not to dishonor our biological parents, but to invite everyone to become the new family of Jesus and reparent one another in the Father's love by the Spirit's power, unafraid of vulnerable community. This is freedom. This is what Paul's calling us to. It's for this freedom that Christ has set you free. And you're returning to slavery, he's saying. You're going back towards the left of that chart moving back into flesh unity and survival instincts, which are obsolete. So Paul's getting very passionate about this. When we go back into the old patterns, you are saying no to the freedom Jesus died for. This is what Paul says in this text. So again, Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And so just a, a, brief, a brief definition of freedom in the New Testament is freedom from sin for loving relationships. This, is, this has been the definition we use around here. True freedom means freedom from sin for, for this, for loving relationships, which, which challenges the American typical definition of freedom, right? We have to check ourselves. We're mostly Americans. I heard there might be some Canadians here today. Not sure if they, awesome, cool. So uh, because most of us are Americans here, and there's some uh, Frenchmen back there, but. So we have, to, we have to distinguish American freedom from Christian freedom, don't we? So here we go. Christian freedom does not equal American freedom. In America, it's, it's freedom from authority for independence, for autonomy. That's in our bones, deep. Some of that's great. I'm thankful that you know, there is a value of democracy. We're here in this building in large part because of embedded values of human dignity that, that bloom into freedom of religious expression. I'm thankful in many ways, so many ways, for 
the, the government and environment and democracy that we are blessed by. Uh, but how it trickles down often individually is freedom from authority, get off me. Uh, what, was the, what was the first American flag? Don't tread on me, it literally said. Don't, yes, don't tread on me. We're telling the King of England to take a hike. King George, get off. And, and, uh, and, so free, so, and that's in our DNA, freedom from authority for autonomy. And, and, but Christian freedom is freedom from sin, which is often our autonomy. Freedom from sin for loving relationship. Quite often, you guys, these things work almost counter exactly opposites at times which makes this very challenging for Western folks, especially Americans. Um, so that, that anti, that don't tread on me spirit is it's deep in our DNA. Right now in 2022, our highest value, be true to yourself, be your real self. And the most honorable thing we can do is be authentic to our own desires. And if any authority comes in and says, I'm wrong, I consider that violent and abusive. Because that's, in our culture, the working idea of true freedom is freedom from authority for independence. And, and if, if there was a title for this sermon, it would be freedom is greater than independence. Um, and this, this isn't just America. It's very Western, but in large part because the U.S. has exported a lot of our values through just tons of media and entertainment. Um, so for those of us who are discipled by the American spirit, the idea that real freedom actually comes by submitting our desires to the authority of Jesus, that can be a hard sell. Because that true freedom results in loving relationships where I'm no longer centered. But Christ is centered and his identity is the fixed point of a new community. This is hard. How many layers of that onion need to be picked Back, not just in America, but in, my, in me, in my response to my wife and my kids when my way isn't being done. That's why we need the message of Galatians. This is Galatians. When the New Testament talks about freedom, it's talking about freedom from sin for loving relationships. This is the freedom Jesus died for us to enjoy. When the New Testament talks about spiritual slavery, it's talking about the thing our culture celebrates as freedom today, which is being true to your own authentic desires. Our society worships this thing called authenticity. It's kind of a, it's kind of a God. Our, uh, authenticity. This idea that we can break free. If we can just break free from all the limits and be true to ourselves, then we'll be really free. I mean, it's like what all the best Disney songs are about, right? They're all, all the best ones. Like, up where they walk, up where they run, you know. <laughs> Stay all day in this wandering free. If I could just be, and you're like, you know, you can't, you can't not sing it. This is, this is, she wants to be part of that world. She's, she's just looking, she's looking through the surface, like, like, just let me be who I want to be. I want to be. Where are the people, you know? Uh, and, then, and then 
the father comes in, he's like, Ariel, and he's like, he's the bad guy. Get him off, Ariel, you know. Or like, no one to tell us no. You know, I'm just, I've always wanted to do this, okay? So let me, hold on a moment. No, just kidding. But no, no one to tell us no. This is, we want a, we want a world that, that doesn't tell us no, a whole new world. It's, it's, this is, there's a lot of great messages in Disney movies, but the songs we take into the shower with us are all about, are all about be, you being really who you are. And so, you know, and then my kids, those are my, my generation. My kids grew up on Frozen. I won't sing it. I'm so glad, don't talk about Bruno dethroned Let It Go. I'm very happy about that. But, but Let It Go, right? I, I won't sing it. I'll put it on the screen. So, so it's time to see, it's time to see what I can do. Test the limits, breakthrough, no right, no wrong, no rules. I'm free, that's the definition. Um, this is not anti-Disney, I am a diehard fan. So th these movies have great messages, I love the twist at the end of Frozen, sacrificial love, it's not all about kissing the guy at the end, it's about like sacrifice, I love it. Um, but again, the, the, the themes we take with us, the songs that, that, that hit, are about these, this authenticity worship. And not, again, it's not knocking Disney. The Disney movie is just a weather vane. Our culture's winds are already blowing. So, so these movies just show us where the wind's blowing. It's a weather vane. Because they want you're making money, they don't want to blow against the wind. So the cultural wind is authenticity worship. And here's why I'm hammering this. It's a, it's a problem and it's not, in, it's not intuitive how it's a problem to us. We don't see it at first. Guys like David Brooks see it. He's a brilliant social commentator. And according to David Brooks, he, he says, this be true to yourself, be your authentic desires, just be you, is actually what keeps tribes perpetuating. Um, because it keeps us from enjoying loving, diverse relationships. And it inevitably moves us back into a silo where we're once again surrounded by people who say, yeah, you be you, exactly like you said. And it's people who look like us or think the same thoughts. Uh, and, and, and even, this is ironic for a, a society that values diversity, right? You get diversity training at work, which can be a great thing. Uh, but what about, do they ever go to like ideological and thought diversity? Yeah, color diversity, culture, language, gender, but then like, what if you say, what if someone says someone else is wrong because they have a different opinion? You can't do that. Um, so ideological diversity is not really a lot. So you have this, this cultural wind that is blowing. And it's, it's authenticity worship. The New Testament calls it spiritual slavery. In Paul's day, the path to slavery was be circumcised. In our day, the path to spiritual slavery is be your authentic self and only listen to people who affirm all of your desires. Which is why Paul gets passionate and protective. He starts guarding this community that he birthed. He uses childbirth metaphors in the last chapter. He's feeling like protective parent. And so look at the rest of our text. This is what Paul says, and then we'll come to the table. He says, mark my words. 
I, Paul, tell you, if you let yourselves be circumcised, if you let yourself define your life according to your own desires, if you do this on your own authority, Christ is of no value to you. That's how you're living. You're saying no to the freedom Jesus died for. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified, to be fixed by the law, fixed by your own authority, fixed by your own desires, fixed by the be true to yourself impulse, you're alienating yourself from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. He's, making a, he's not making a judgment. He's stating a fact. You cannot follow Jesus and yourself at the same time. Remember, he's talking to Christians. This is a gut check moment for Christians. Christians are the intended audience right here, not non-Christians. You say you are the new family of Jesus, <laughs> and yet you're not living as he has defined you. In other words, when you as a child of God, when you turn away from the liberating authority of Jesus, to obey your own authority instead, you're saying no to the freedom Jesus died for. I mean, I'm kind of just channeling Paul at this point. What do we do with this? And then in our last two verses, here's what we do with this. We see reality. We see, the, we see reality. We choose to open our eyes and let the Lord, Jesus Christ, King of all nations, lift us into his perspective. This is the perspective right here. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. What does that mean? Remember what righteousness means. Don't think righteousness, oh, a bunch of good deeds, religious word. Righteousness is what you want. You want all your relationships to be firing on all cylinders. You don't want to feel torn in your soul and not know why you're feeling anxious. You want to be made righteous. You want to be made whole. A synonym for righteousness is shalom. Right? All your relationships rightly ordered, all as it should be. Your relationship with God, others, yourself, and the world. Fulfillment. Shalom. Wholeness. Who doesn't want that? Through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith for that, for which we hope. And hope, hope doesn't mean I wish, I hope. I hope it happens. That's, again, a modern hope. Hope in the New Testament is an anchor intentionally stuck into the fact that God can't lie. God can't lie. Your body will come out of the ground. Because Jesus rose from the dead, what happened to Jesus will happen to you. And when you rise from the dead, all of the things we're working for, hoping for, praying for, and seeing happen in part will be done whole. All relationships rightly restored, including your relationship with yourself. Don't you want to be rid of that depression and anxiety and that sense of why, why am I around people all the time and feel so alone? That may never go away in this life. That may never go away. Immediate healing of chronic mental illness and serious conditions like that may never go away. 
But they will all go away. At, they will all go away at the same time. Both. We 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 confess both at the same time. It is tense. That's why at Advent we talked about hope. One Sunday we had a rope we held across this front. Remember hope rope? Kind of goofy. Very youth camp. But that is what it means to hope. You are on one end in the present. The future is not going anywhere and it's holding the rope. It's not going to let go, are you? And so you keep it tense. It is tense to trust. We eagerly await by faith the shalom for which we know God can't lie about. For in Christ Jesus, you have that slide still? For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision, neither identity is tops anymore here. Beautiful. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And we'll talk about that. What, what does it look like when love is expressed? Paul gets into the fruit of the Spirit next week. Cannot wait for that. So uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm tr- what I'm trying to inspire in you, do you long for this stuff? Is this, what, is this literally could be what keeps many of you up at night? Longing for shalom. A puzzle in your soul is not quite fitting. It's like you don't have the instruction picture and you have a thousand pieces and you don't know what the picture is supposed to look like and it's in your chest. I know this feeling. Do you long for the right relationship with yourself to be restored? It's not just relationship with some religious relationship with God. That's better than you can imagine, but we make it a metaphor. But it's also a relationship with your own self and other human beings in this family that are also being made right with themselves and God. You guys, we're part, do you long for this? Is it too, it's not too good to be true. Don't re, you got to resist making a metaphor out of this church family thing. And lean into it. Get involved in community. Be generous and sacrificially and vulnerably honest with each other. Lean into this treasure chest we have that Christ has invited us into as his siblings, as his father's daughters and sons. You long for this. Honestly, are you exhausted? It's got to be exhausting to live under the weight of your own authority. Are you aching to be just free from defensiveness? Why am I always defensive? And social anxiety and mind reading, afraid that people are thinking evil of you or you're afraid of getting canceled or whatever. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be incredible to see yourself as who you really are? Spirit unity, we have it. You are eternal. You have abundance. Therefore can be confident and turn enemies into neighbors into family. This is already who we are and we have the resources for it. He's the mark of the covenant known as the Holy Spirit who's already in you. It's all here, it's all here. Wouldn't it be incredible to step into this tight-knit community where you're free to be vulnerable, to know and be fully known and to speak truth prophetically. I've never done this before. You're like, I've never done this but I just have a word for you and I think God, he has, he smiles on you and he saw you this week. I don't know what that's about but he saw you in your moment on Wednesday and he wants to let you know that you are not how those two people defined you. I don't know what that means. Take or leave it. Maybe the number's wrong but whatever. I, I believe God's smiling on you for Wednesday or whatever. God has put that on your soul do you want to operate in that way? And then have people speak over you that way in this family, always reminding each other who we are and whose we are. 
If you're tired of not having that, this is precisely what is being offered. And I'm talking to Christians. This is the freedom Jesus died for you to enjoy. Are you enjoying it? Or at least moving toward it intentionally? Put negatively, how are you saying no to this freedom? Are there areas where you're just saying no to the freedom Jesus died for you to enjoy? Redefining good and evil according to your own terms, taking your life in your own hands, not believing that repentance truly does lead to refreshment, not shame. It's for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm. What would it look like for you to stand firm? We're gonna move into a time of prayer and standing firm, a, a prayer time of standing firm, which requires, I think, a community. Uh, I, don't think it's, I don't think you can stand firm alone quite well, quite as well. Uh, it's, it's, it's very much a plural command. Pretty much all of the New Testament commands are to groups, plural. So we're gonna do it as a group. There's gonna be people up front on my right and left, and, and, and I believe many, many of you, Jesus wants to take his father's kids, like Christian kids, followers of Jesus, maybe you've been a Christian for 15 years or more, and he wants to take you and, and place you back on the path of true freedom. And, and he wants you to receive the truth about you, that you can trust the God who places you there. You can trust him. You, maybe you've experienced authority abuse in the church abusive authority, it's real and it's heinous and it, it is beyond despicable and we're not, that's not what this sermon's all about but we have to name that. It's despicable the way people in God's name have used other people for themselves. And maybe you've, maybe you've been on the receiving end of this and for, and for that I, w- I wanna absolutely invite you to acknowledge this. Name this. There's freedom and cleansing in confessing the sin done to you. It's not your sin. And, and agree with the Father. Agree with Jesus that the Father is nothing like that abuse. Nothing. And you might not click over into full refreshment, but, it, but, it, but there will be a bit of progress. Life in Christ is usually not breakthrough. It's usually process. So what would that process look like for you today? Can you put that last slide up? And that's gonna, that's gonna kind of guide us into worship and prayer. Can you stand? Feel free to stand. In what ways have you been saying no to this freedom Jesus died for you to enjoy? And we sang it at the beginning. What if... To God, what if to you our hearts are open, nothing here is hidden? What if that was true? What gives you pause about that? Bring that to God. Feel free to open up your hands in a posture of receiving. If you're comfortable, you don't have to at all, but it's just a way to kind of shift your consciousness and, and your attention. And, and 
I just want to pray for you. Holy Spirit, would you fall like, like loving fire upon every heart, remind every daughter and son who they are, and invite those who have not yet said yes to Jesus, come and see. Come and drink. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This is what that is. We acknowledge you're here, God. Before we come to your table, we want to come to you. We want to come to you.